should start in a second and okay perfect it has now started recording so um well ollie would you like to yeah good to go i think yeah so hi everyone um uh welcome to the first ever action against the homelessness podcast our mission is to help raise awareness surrounding homelessness in the UK and empower students to combat homelessness. I'm Molly, the Vice President of Action Against the Homeless Society. Uh, I am Eileen Johannesdottir. I am the postgraduate representative at the Society. And hello, I am Mahin. I am the events coordinator. So our guest today is the Assistant Director of Homelessness Services for the Salvation Army in the UK, Malcolm Page. Um, Malcolm, thank you so much for joining us. Would you thank like you. to? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. Would you? We're very happy to have you. And um, would you like to give a short introduction of what your work entails? Yep. So I'm, uh, as you've introduced me, I'm the Assistant Director of Homelessness Services in the UK. So um, my area of responsibility is um, I have overall operational and strategic responsibility for the Salvation Army's Homelessness Services in the north of the UK. So that includes Scotland. I live in Dundee, so I'm not that far away from you when you're, if you're all, I guess I'm not sure if you're all at university in St Andrews or whether you're accessing your university course online but um but i'm very familiar with st andrews um, um and um and that sort of surrounding area not living far from there um we also i have responsibility for scotland ireland which is both the north and in the republic of ireland and then also in the northeast and the northwest of england so in the east coast it's uh from hull in Grimsby, down in that, as far down south as there. In the west coast, it's North Wales and um, Liverpool, Manchester area, and then everything north of that, and as I say, including Scotland and, and um, both the north and the Republic of Ireland. Okay, thank you so much. And thank you for joining us. We're so glad to have you with us today. Um, so our main hope is to raise awareness when it comes to homelessness and reach out to university students to demonstrate to them how they can help. So what is the main, um, like what, what does the Salvation Army do to help homelessness and homeless people? Gosh, that's, um, that's a really wide ranging question. Um, so the Salvation Army first and foremost is a church and a charity. So um, we are a church and we have um, what we call cores C-O-R-P-S, um, and that's because the Salvation Army um, in its sort of historical development adopted this um, structure which was based loosely around a sort of military type structure. So we have cores which are all based locally um, in cities across and up and down the UK. Um, so the, first and foremost, the churches see it as part of their social responsibility part of their responsibility to their community to reach out to those that are vulnerable in that community. And some of those are people who are experiencing homelessness. So we have a core here in Dundee and um, I'm very familiar with that core. I'm a Salvationist, so I, I attend um, a church, I actually attend a core in Perth. 
Um, but I'm very familiar with the core in Dundee here in the city. And we have a, 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 a drop in. And that's fairly common in um, in Salvation Army corps and churches around the UK for them to have at least an expression of an outreach to people who are vulnerable in their community. And that might be a homelessness drop in uh, where they might provide food um, they might provide shelter, companionship um, um, and, and whatever that individuals need um, you know, to support them. They may be homeless. Um, I guess there's a there's an interesting dynamic around people that are ruthless as opposed to being homeless. So someone very often people would see themselves as being homeless if they're vulnerably housed. So they might be rough sleeping, they might be sharing um, a, a house, they might be you know illegally occupying a home, um, and they, these are they they would see themselves as being homeless. But there are people that are ruthless, and those are people that would rough sleep. So we mentioned in our introduction about the rough sleeping figures today. And those are people that are genuinely rough sleeping, so they have no place to call a home. Um, but the Salvation Army have a particular mission. 130 years ago, William Booth wrote a book called In Darkest England. Now, whilst he called it In Darkest England, he actually meant In Darkest Scotland, Ireland, Wales, you know, wherever it is. And um, it's 130 years this year, and we've actually just published a book which I've been I've contributed to, which which charts the history of the Salvation Army social um, responsibility, and basically it's a blueprint for social work. And it's actually it was very innovative when it was written uh, at the time, and and it mapped out lots of areas which were of particular concern. So homelessness, unemployment, um, addiction. In those days, addiction meant addicted being addicted to alcohol but today we know that addiction has been much wider than that it can be drugs it can be alcohol but it can be all sorts of issues like gambling pornography um you know these are, are, are so the wider our wider understanding of addiction now is much greater and so within homelessness services we have over 80 sites around the uk where we provide a specific service to the community um, around um, pro provision for people who are experiencing homelessness. Now, those could be uh, single homeless, it could be families, it could be victims of domestic violence, fleeing domestic violence, gender-based violence. Um, we have one service in North Wales which supports uh, veterans, you know, so military veterans. Um, We've got outreach services where we outreach into the community, um, rough sleeping communities. So, you know, I'm just thinking of Bradford, where we have a vehicle which weeknights goes out and about um, and supports people who are rough sleeping. Um, so you'll see it with the Salvation Army logo on and, and, and you'll probably you might see in the media, you might see some pictures of people who got high-vis jackets with the Salvation Army logo on them, and that's our outreach teams. We've got day centres um, that we operate where it doesn't provide accommodation, but we provide um, services to people who are, during the day, have nowhere to go. Um, these they, And they'll provide a range of services there, from just simple practical things like being able to offer 
shower facilities, being able to provide food, be able to provide fresh, dry clothing. Um, but equally, it could be medical support. We don't provide that ourselves, but we facilitate that through working with um, NHS and we provide counselling services and employment services. So there's a whole range of things, but but they happen, you know, as I say, we over every night of the week, you know, tonight we will provide over 3,000 bed spaces around the UK. And at some point today, we've probably had around 500 people who've accessed our day centres or our outreach centres. And probably close on around a thousand clients uh, where we're supporting them in their own homes to sustain the tenancies and also to prevent homelessness. So there's a big emphasis on prevention rather than, um, um, you know, than waiting for someone to become homeless and then addressing them. So, you know, that's the range of, of services. I guess we pride ourselves because we are a national organisation. You know, most people will know of the Salvation Army locally um, in there. Sadly, there isn't one in St Andrews, um, but we used to have a core. There is a building where if you're very observant in the main street in St Andrews, you'll see a Salvation Army crest above the door. It's actually a restaurant now, but that used to be our building. And because of um, planning restrictions, we're not allowed to it's a listed building. We're not allowed to change the outside of the building. But so there's, there's there's still the name of the Salvation Army in St Andrews, but not we don't have a presence in the city or in the town. So, well, thank you so much, Malcolm. Um, it's so interesting and so nice to see how many services the Salvation Army actually has for the homeless and how you truly go beyond just the bare minimum when you spoke about communication for example um i was actually wondering based on what you said because you said that you went to perth and visited um there so i was wondering how long you've been working with salvation army and with how the world is changing so quickly in recent times how you've seen um the salvation army's work actually develop to sort of uh, match the new needs that come up with um being homeless so um, that's a very interesting question, actually. I've, I've, I've worked for the Salvation Army now for around 11 years. Um, in, and I, I originally started working in one of our centres in Dundee, actually, in, in the city, in the centre of Dundee. Um, so I, I have worked there as, you know, supporting individuals who came into our centre. Um, as I say, I'm now the Assistant Director um, of Homelessness Services. Um, how, how has it changed over the 10 years? It certainly changed over, I mentioned about, you know, 130 years. I can't remember that far back. I'm sure you'll, you'll, uh, you, 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 you'll be aware of that. But, um, but it's, it's interesting that although we, we look today, the issues remain, but they've probably got a slightly different emphasis. Um, I would have loved to, and I guess William Booth might have loved to think that in 130 years' time, we wouldn't be, you know, we wouldn't be, ex or people wouldn't be experiencing homelessness, whereas sadly they are, and, and that we think the numbers are increasing, um, not decreasing, um, and and so that's a real concern for us. Um, how it's changed, I think I mentioned earlier on about addictions; they're a big issue for us. We, I think we we understand more about homelessness. Um, so 
I guess homelessness very often for us is not the cause of the problem. It's a symptom of what people are experiencing. So that may have been because there's there's been some mental health issues, there's been some relationship breakdowns. And um, we did a piece of research um, which we published about oh, 10, 11, 12 years ago called Seeds of Exclusion. And what we sought to, to identify from that was that that there were there were a number of causes of homelessness which resulted in people experiencing homelessness. So um, mental health was a big issue. And I think we if we, we now understand much more about mental health and the impact on people's lifestyles and and we, we call it life life choices. And whereas actually we we have a bit of an issue with that because it's so very often not a choice that someone makes. It's someone has made a choice for them. You know, one of the things that's really interesting for us is and I, I don't know if you if you're aware of of something called ACEs. It's called adverse childhood experiences, and we believe that in the earliest part of someone's formation of their being, um, that actually it's how they're treated as a child um, and their experiences as a child that 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 forms what they are when they're in adulthood or or their ad- adolescence or they. um, or they become adults and that very often it's the early day experiences which shape their response to their life, their lifestyle and their life choices. So we understand a little bit more as to why people suffer mental health issues, why people experience addictions um, uh, and why it would appear for some people that they make poor life choices. But very often it's not a choice. It's there, you know. It's it's almost inevitable for them that that they will, um, you know, they will experience this adverse behaviours as they've grown up. Um, and and you know, really for us, it's about trying to help them deal with those kind of um, with those with those issues and experiences. And that's why we're particularly passionate about the work we do amongst children and young people. And we've got a lot of family services in the UK and um, we've got, um, you know, it's a particular emphasis in of our work in Belfast and, and in Dublin um, that we run these family centres, which are really about our opportunity to positively influence and positively provide role models to young people so that hopefully they can deal with some of the issues that they've experienced in their life in a way which is much more positive and they're able to deal with some of the, the kind of real challenges that they might face in, in the future. Um, I was wondering, since you have bases all over the UK and you've mentioned these different issues, mental health and drugs, do you see any difference between, like does drug play a bigger role towards homelessness in some places compared to others? Do you see some difference when it comes to this? Um, I think we, I think the the reasons for homelessness. We, I, I, I certainly think I don't see anything significantly different about. Um, and and as you, as I said in my introduction, I look after centres in the northeast, the northwest of England, and Scotland and Ireland, and fundamentally the challenges are the same. There are some areas which are hotspots for particular issues. So in Scotland, sadly, we have one of the highest drug-related deaths um, rates in in Europe. 
And in fact, Dundee per capita, so when you compare it to the number of people living in the city, Dundee has the, one of the highest drug-related death rates in, in the UK and in Europe. And that's a terrible badge to wear for any, any um, community. Um, and we see it quite a lot in our centres. We, we combat this by having what we call a harm reduction approach, where for us it's about keeping people safe and well, because the Salvation Army's ethos is about empowering people to make um, better, better choices um, about their lifestyles. It's about, um, it's about providing opportunities for people. So we talk about a, a, a person-centred approach. So we don't, we, we don't have programmes that say, you know, how can you fit into our programme? What we, the conversation we have with someone is about, is very what we call asset-based. So we have a conversation with someone about um, what 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 things are you, what's your aspirations in life. Now, for some people, that might be relatively minor in terms of certainly what we might think about are being our aspirations. But so we might want to engage with them in terms of so what are you good at? What's you know what 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 things are you really interested in? And then try and unlock an individual's potential and empower them to go on to make you know to to kind of improve their self-esteem and, and to, to seek out opportunities for themselves. And we talk about bringing a um, transformation in the widest sense of the word to an individual. So it's about bringing positive change. But we for us, transformation is much more powerful because it's transformation can, can in many cases lead, can be permanent. It can be something that people aspire to and it makes a real change in an in individual's life. And that change is wide, wide ranging. It's not about their physical health. It might be about their emotional well-being. It might be about their spiritual well-being because uh, I mentioned earlier on that we are first and foremost a church. We are mobilised to do what we do because of our love for that God has for us. And God tells us in the Bible we should share that love with others. And we should share our passion and our compassion for our fellow being. And that was very much modelled in how Jesus lived his life when he was here on earth. And so we use that as a model of how we model our behaviour and how we would aspire to reach out to others who are maybe less fortunate than us. In, I, I suppose it in terms of the uh, the COVID pandemic, it impacts a lot, it impacts an awful lot of people, and of course, in particular, homeless people. How how much do you think homelessness has changed during the COVID nineteen pandemic, and how has the Salvation Army changed changed their response to homelessness in in the pandemic, and and has it changed the overall perspective to look forward after the pandemic as well? Uh, yes, I think it has. I think um, in in the broadest sense, it's changed the way that we work. It's changed the way the, the Salvation Army actually is all about relationships. If you were asked to ask me about what does the Salvation Army bring to homelessness, it probably could be best summed up in about relationships. So we value the relationships that we develop with an individual. Now, I guess it's not passed you by that actually developing relationships with people is much harder for us when you don't meet the individual, when you don't meet them face to face, when there are limitations placed on you by by legislation and by guidance that's 
that for individuals, for others' safety and for your own safety. So that's been a real challenge. But we've, um, I mean, where, where we, we the, the message went out very er, early during COVID-19, where it was stay at home, of course, that's not an option for our frontline staff. So our frontline staff, you you know, we're running life houses and providing, sorry, I should have said we call our hostels life houses because it's a place where people can experience, you know, life in all its fullness. And and that comes directly from a quote in scripture where in John 10 10, where we're, um, we're told that Jesus came to give people life in all its fullness. So that's why we, we use the term life house. So it's, we were we had to operate on smaller staff teams. We had to help people self-isolate to keep them well and keep them safe. We had to find new ways of engaging with people um, without having that face-to-face -face contact. So digital media was really important to us. Use of telephone, the use of video conferencing, Zoom, um, things like Teams, you know, like we're using tonight, that all became part of our normal toolkit. Um, but of course, we had to start in some instances from scratch. So one of the things that we did early on was we were able to raise some funds to be able to provide people with telephones or or smartphones that we could keep in contact with people who we, that we were supporting. Um, we've had to think of new ways of engaging and keep on keeping people occupied. Um, one. There were some very practical issues around um, providing access to medication for individuals as well. Um, people who are homeless tend to not be registered with GPs, and um, so that's a real that was a real challenge for us. Was about <clears throat> having ensuring that people are registered with a GP, so that in essence we know that they exist. Then um, you know the health service knows that they are that they exist. The the, the quality of of healthcare for people who experience homelessness is appalling. It's really poor, and um, and they are, they are very vulnerable as well. So, uh, in the early stages of the pandemic, we were very concerned that people who, particularly people who were rough sleeping, would um, uh, would be very vulnerable, and we could see very large numbers of deaths within the homelessness community. Now that that hasn't trans transpired transpired it hasn't come to to fruition. I think to some extent that's because of some of the actions that we took as organ and when I say we we within the Salvation Army but many other providers also worked together um, and also actions that were put in place by the government funding that was made available by both the UK government and devolved governments. Um, you may have heard of a program called Everyone's In. So very early on in the pandemic, around April and May of last year, we had this real concerted effort that we would reduce the number of rough sleepers. And the target was to go to target zero. And we moved something like 3,000 people into hotel accommodation, student accommodation that was being unused. Um, so it was one is it was safe. It was COVID safe. Um, so we used to run night shelters, which were communal um, in, in a number of locations. So you would maybe get, you know, people sharing rooms. We stopped doing all that because it was quite in, unsafe uh, from a COVID perspective. 
So that was very successful. Just in the Salvation Army in Scotland, we opened a brand new service and mobilised it in a week. So a local authority that we work with made a, a building, a former student residence available to us. And we we opened that service within a week from when we were asked first asked to when we actually took our first clients. And that was all about us being able to mobilise people or to move people into a, a safe environment. And I can think of examples around the UK in Liverpool where we where there was a particular issue around rough sleeping where where all the providers got together and said, you know, we can look after a building. It was a, a service department block that we we used in Liverpool, which was made available to us by the council, but uh, the Liverpool City Council, but was a private enterprise, a, a service department that they leased for a period of time. So there was a real concerted effort to do that. But, you know, I, I can't I, I wouldn't be uh, true to myself if I didn't take the opportunity to really acknowledge the work that our frontline staff did because they put themselves in the face of danger, to be honest, um, because we had no idea how this pandemic was going to was was going to work itself out. And yet we had people who were everybody else was saying stay at home. They were having to use public transport to come to work. They were having to and, and we there was no rule book that said if you have a pandemic, this is what you do. We had to work it out as we went along. We had to write guidance, literally. And most organisations had to respond in this way, where we had to come up with specific guidance in response to guidance which was being given by government um, to keep people safe and to keep people well. And largely, we've been fortunate. We've, you know, like every other um, um, organisation, we've experienced some of our service users who've sadly passed away, but they are very few. And, and the number of very few staff who had have had you know who who suffered greatly um, of, uh, of corona or from coronavirus, but sadly it's still around. Uh, I've spent much of today dealing with with um, issues in centres where you know we're having outbreaks, resurgent outbreaks, and um, but we've worked hard over recent weeks getting most of our staff vaccinated and certainly making the vaccine the the vaccine available to our staff. And also, um, uh, the majority of our service users now are are um, are, use, are having access to um, the vaccination as well through a, a number of ways, um, either through the NHS or through specific programmes where um, the public health authorities are actually coming into our services and and actually um, um, vaccinating service users and staff. And we're actually using a number of our buildings as vaccination centres. Um, some of our church buildings, we gave them over to the local NHS and we're using them to provide vaccination centres. Um, and we've got, I mentioned earlier on about, um, we've got a centre in Bradford, which is an outreach service. And uh, two or three days a week, we, the outreach team take NHS nurses with them and we go and visit places where people may not be registered with GPs, they may not be willing to come forward and 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 um you know get appointments to have the vaccination. Um but you know we can take the vaccination to them and um and make that available. So yeah it's it's been an interesting 12 months. I don't think any of us thought we would still be doing this 12 months after last sort of March or April. And I know as students you've probably had 
your own experiences as well that you've had to deal with. But um, it's been a really difficult time. Um, but I guess we've, you know, we've come together as organisations working in partnerships where we didn't have before, um, working with statutory services. Um, but I think as mo the longer this goes on, we're concerned about the well-being for our staff. And, you know, we hear a lot about the well-being of NHS staff, and I, I wouldn't um, diminish that at all. But but there's lots of other, uh, you know, frontline key workers that have continued to work during the pandemic. And I would need to say a big thank you. Um, I don't know if any of them will be listening to this, but um, but I would say a big thank you to all our staff for the commitment they've shown in the last 12 months in particular. And so it goes on and it may go on for another few months yet, I suspect. So. Thank you so much, Malcolm. Um, I think you joining us, um, it's just adding to the message and we are also very thankful to the frontline workers who have been doing so much to mm. help during the pandemic. Um, and actually, when you were speaking about partnerships and how much um, has been done in terms of housing people in student accommodations or providing people with a roof over their head or bringing um, the COVID vaccine to them. I think that there's a view that people might have of the Salvation Army that even though it is a very giving place, because it is a church, they might feel as if, oh, if we don't align with the views of the church, then maybe we can't go to them for help. But um, I, I, from what I've heard, that's actually not the case at all. And no. that everyone and um, especially with the winter months being so horrible as they were over this time I think I think it would be important to get the message out that people when they need you all the most they can absolutely go to you mm -hmm. yeah the, the, the you know the message of the gospel is is for the whosoever but it's not you know when when we say to someone and we we very often smile when we have conversations with people, people who come to work for us don't necessarily, we ask them to share our views and share our values, but some of them don't share our beliefs and we we accept that. And certainly that's the case for um, people who access our services. You know, there's no requirement for them to bring their own tambourine and wear a bonnet or, you know, what you know whatever people's kind of mind uh, picture of a Salvation Army. I mean, I'm, I'm wearing my, Salvation Army uniform this evening, my ship, my because I'm a Salvationist, and and I quite often wear it to work. Um, but that's not a requirement for anybody who accesses our services. Our services are available to people with faith, with other faiths, or with no faith. So you know, it's it's an open door. Um, it's unconditional love, and it's uh, you know the the care that we provide for people is unconditional, and. Um, I mean, we are we are um, as a, as an organisation. I think we are reliant on public funds, the the general public, who are incredibly kind and generous. Um, this year at Christmas time, we way exceeded our target that we um, for our public campaign. But one of the areas that we've really struggled with is most of you will be familiar with the Salvation Army band standing on the corner of the street playing Christmas carols. And most of those would collect and would collect donations from the public for us to sustain our programmes, not only at Christmas, but throughout the year. So that's been a big challenge, it's a big financial challenge for us. And, and also things like we rely on the income from our charity shops. And because they're non-essential, 
the shops have had to close. So there's a real challenge about balancing our income streams, um, whether they be for commission services, as we call them. So our lifehouses, most of them are funded by local government um, funding or central government funding um, so, or Salvation Army funding. So it, it is a real challenge for us. Um, but certainly I would not want anybody to think that you can only come to the Salvation Army if you sign a pledge or if you, you know, if you're prepared to say that, you know, you're a Christian or whatever. That's not the case. We have a very interesting project, actually, in, in uh, Fleetwood, just north of Blackpool, where we work with refugee families, all Syrians um, and have come from Syria. So they've been they've been brought to the UK as part of the refugee resettlement scheme. And we work to integrate them into the communities. Now, that's a marriage which you would have never believed would be the case where you have a Christian faith based organisation working with a, with with a group of Muslims and Muslim families who have completely different beliefs. But the values that we have are very similar um, about the importance of family, the importance of community and the importance of sharing what we have together. And when we share those values, then the barriers that, uh, that we kind of put in place in our head about faith and religion tend to kind of disappear and, and fall away. So, yeah. Um, I think at least I am and we are very inspired by the Salvation Army and uh, very grateful that you're here with us today. Okay. And now, like during these times, I think as an end note to this, um, I wanted to ask if you could give us some, you know, points how the general public or students here at St. Andrews can help uh, to, like, help the homeless and help the Salvation Army's cause. Um, yeah, we get asked that question quite a lot. How can we help the Salvation Army? And we're very grateful, as I mentioned earlier on, to the general public who much of the work that we do is done because of the generosity of the public. Um, and I guess most people would think, um, you know, when they talk about well, the Salvation Army, they would think about, you know, someone with a cup of tea offering someone, you know, a hot drink, maybe some food, um, you know, reaching down to someone um, who might be a rough sleeper, might be experiencing homelessness. So these are kind of pictures that people have in their head and, um, um, about the Salvation Army and we're grateful because we have that respect in the community. The Salvation Army is a brand. Um, the shield, the red shield is very recognisable by people. Um, how can you help? Um, I guess there's a number of ways. One is, you know, we can help financially, um, but we're always looking for volunteers, um, for people who might have some skills that you could share with us um, or with our with the service users that we access our centres. Um, so I would I would suggest that what students might be able to do is contact your local Salvation Army and find out ways of um, how you can help. Um, that might be financially. It may just be you know giving of whatever gifts and talents that you that you have. And and if you're a if you're a um, if you're a faith you know if you have a faith then I would also say pray for the Salvation Army, pray for the work that we do. And, um, and, and But also there are very often opportunities for us to campaign on issues. We're about to launch a campaign in the next couple of weeks, which 
Um, I'll be happy to share with you when we when we make it public and uh, where there would be an opportunity for you to engage in a particular concern that we have around the funding of the Salvation Army's work. Um, so, you know, I, first and foremost, I would say contact your local Salvation Army, find out from them how you can help. And that might just be simply working in the charity shop when they reopen. You could have done, you know, a few hours volunteering. It could be that you arrange some sort of fundraising event as a uh, as a student um, group. Um, an, an interesting possibility, and I'd like to suggest this, um, is you as a as an organisation, you've called yourself Action Against Homeless, and I think that's a wonderful concept for you as a group of people to put that. And it is about action, and so maybe there's something that you could do as a group. Um, I would like to suggest that maybe you could adopt a centre. You could, you know, link up with one of our centres, and you might be able to help them out financially, practically, um, you know, in ways that might be, and it might be different at different times of the year. Um, so I think that would be an interesting possibility for you to consider as a as a society whether that's something that you might you might want to do. I think the other thing is that you can, you don't need to do what you do through the Salvation Army. There may be other organisations that you can connect with. Um, and maybe uh, one of the things that I often say to people is um, when they say, well, if I see someone rough sleeping, what do I do? What what can I do? How can I help them? And and, and what I would suggest that the, the first thing to do is to ask them what they need. Because very often we make assumptions you know, we may maybe go off and buy a, a meal deal from Tesco's and put it in a bag and give it to someone, but they might not fully appreciate what, you know, what you've bought them, but just ask them what they want. And very often they've got some very simple requests. And I remember having a conversation with someone, I, I prior to COVID, I used to travel to London every week and I used to, to spend some of my days in London. And so rough sleeping is quite a common experience in London. When you walk around the streets of London in the evening, it's not you're not it's not unusual for you to bump into someone, maybe at the station door on the tube station as you're going on the tube. And I remember stopping and just speaking to a young girl. And she said to me, you know, you're the first person that's spoken to me all day. And I think that's I think that's such a tragedy that someone could be almost invisible. In, and just people walking past. Now, I will be honest and say she had collected a, you know, a, a reasonable substantial amount of money, certainly enough for her to go and have a hot meal. And um, and I don't know where she was staying that night. I did try and find out from her and direct her to one of her services that they might be able to help her. But, you know, it, it's very often that about about they're, they're invisible. And if you speak to someone who, and you engage with someone who is rough sleeping, very often that's the thing that they'll tell you is that that you know nobody knows my name just ask them what their name is and keep referring to their name because it's all about this piece about relationships and if that person remains there again keep going back and and you know develop that that relationship with the individual it's how we work and it's how we would encourage others to work i have one or two places that i pass periodically in in the town in dundee and i know one or two people and I know some people who have come into our services and, you know, you become familiar with that community and it's good to remember their names and, and keep referring to them and by their names. So there are lots of there are lots of opportunities, fundraising, um, you know, supporting us as a charity. 
but providing practical support is definitely an opportunity um, and it may be something that you want to consider. I'd be more than happy for you to come back to me if you if there were members of your society who thought I would like to help the Salvation Army. I'm happy for you to share my email address and I'll put you in contact with someone um, closer to you or close to you um, or provide some some you know potential opportunities for you to to help the Salvation Army help others, which is really what we do. Thank you so much, Malcolm. Um, hearing you talk about how somebody feels invisible, it's it's truly just so saddening. Um, and I think that if people, when they listen to our podcast, if they get that message that sometimes all people want is conversation, and then you can build a relationship with someone who feels as if they're unseen. I think that's such an important message to be spreading. Um, and I will absolutely, at the end of this presentation, when we um, have the podcast all built together, we will be sharing links to the Salvation Army website and contacts so that people can uh, contact their local Salvation Army and see how they can help participate in this right now. Um, I, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us and um to anyone who is listening if you have any questions for malcolm then please raise your hand or just unmute yourself mm. all right well sorry angela yes sorry a quick question um so thank you, Malcolm. It's been so interesting hearing you speak and we're all uh, like really grateful that you're here. Um, so I'm just interested. Um, what would you say to people who have this conception of homeless people um, who, as people who have in some way brought on their own homelessness? Um, I know a lot of people have that misconception. Um, yeah, that's... Um that's a, that's a common question we get asked and and um it it very often presents itself in our social media channels where you know where we might make a comment or we might promote some particular um like today we made some comments in the media about uh, rough sleep the rough sleeping figures and of course we 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 very frequently get people who say well they bring it on themselves and um um, and particularly around addictions, there's a in, in people's minds there's a there's a link between homelessness and dr and drug and alcohol addiction and abuse, and that that is not untrue, but it's the relationship between the two which people need to try and understand. I think um, very often homelessness and addiction, uh, whether that be drugs or alcohol or some other form of addiction, um, are actually symptoms. Of something which is much deeper in a person's makeup. I mentioned earlier on about adverse childhood experiences, and these are things that happen in the earliest days. And we have done a number, some research into that, where we we now understand that it's that there are some things that happen in in a child's development which remain with them for the rest of their life. Um, it may be about the lack of attachment to a parent. It may, and I'm not blaming parents for it. Sometimes they've had similar experiences. So it's not about apportioning a blame. 
It's actually about just saying, well, why is that person like they are? Why is that person, why, why is, has that, it, it may, some people might think it's a lifestyle choice, but sometimes it's not a choice. It's just, that's the only option that was available to them. Taking drugs for some people is about blocking out some of those very extreme adverse childhood experiences. Um, consuming large amounts of alcohol is actually, for some people, just about blocking out a, an experience that they've had in the past. Um, it may be that it may be a mental health issue, it may be a relationship issue that they're really struggling to deal with, and they they use drugs, they use alcohol, and then that leads to the loss of a home, or the loss of or or, or relationships worsening. Um, and they find themselves rough sleeping, um, or they find themselves homeless. So it's it's not quite as simple as well. They brought it on themselves. Uh, undoubtedly, there may be a, there may be individuals who have you know they've made poor choices and they've made you know they've 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 chosen the wrong moments they've chosen the wrong relationships very often is that relationships can be positive or negative and they've chosen poor relationships and that's that's had an impact on their on their life and their their overall well-being um and it, for us it's about giving them that sense that life can be different and that there are opportunities and there's some great models there's some great stories um I, I'm, i'd be happy to share with you some examples There's we've got a couple of videos that we've made recently about um, about people who've come through our housing first programs where I can think of one person, um, Mick, who uh, came to us uh, lots and lots of issues. Um, you know, he'd gone down a spiral, his relationship had broken up, he became rough sleeping, he lost his job, um, if to say he became homeless and mental health issues, he started taking drugs, started using lots of amounts of alcohol. And then he was referred to our Housing First programme. Housing First is slightly different than traditional hostels. I don't know if you've heard much about it, but essentially what happens is primarily the individual is given a home and then we provide the support around that. Um, it's a little bit more complex than that, but essentially that in simple terms, we, we believe that the individual has a right to a home. And we try and make a house into a home for the individual by giving them some developing that relationship and that intensive support. And he's now moved on from that and moved in with his partner. They've just recently had a baby and, um, you know, he's got a, he's rebuilt his life. So, you know, it, it is possible. And there's, we've got lots and lots of um, really positive stories about change that people have brought it, the, the, the key thing is that very often people will bring about change in their own lives. It's not the Salvation Army that brings about the change. It's it's them that bring about change in their own lives. And and that's our whole ethos. I mentioned earlier on about it's providing opportunities. It's enabling people to and it's empowering people. And that's, I think, a key thing for us is about try, just trying to put the opportunities in people's way. That's why our support we provide is quite wide ranging. It might be about homelessness. It might be about addictions. It might be about employment. It it may be about you know debt advice. It could be you know there's lots of things that impact on people's lives negatively that we can help them work through 
and and give them a sense of hope um, because that's a good way of summing up what the Salvation Army do, I think. So thank you for your question. I think it was An Angela, was it? Yeah, thank you. That was a really, really interesting answer. And yeah, it's a really, um, some really great stories there about people who re rebuilt their life, their lives. And it's really, um, it's kind of reassuring to know that like, we all have hard times, but some of us have to make more wrong choices before we end up homeless um, mm. compared to some other people. So it's really great that you exist and you're able to set people back on a good path. So thank you. Thank you, Angela. Thank you. Yeah, and I think also on behalf of every single person at the, the society, we, we would all like to thank you for for spending your time here to come talk to us about homelessness, the issues that are facing homeless people and what people can can do to help combat and, and create action against against homelessness. And I think on that note we we are going to end the topic end the podcast. Uh, yeah and, and from from everyone at the society we want to thank you for spending your time with us and and we can follow us on Instagram, you can like us on Facebook and then at the end of the podcast we will link we will link all this all the salvation salvation army information for you to look at. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. And I, can I just say I wish you well in your, because I understand this is a relatively new venture, so I wish you well uh, as a society. And if we can help in any way, then you've got my email address and you're uh, welcome to get in touch. And uh, But I wish you well, and I'll, I'll listen to the podcast uh, with interest and also subsequently as you... Um, you you um, hopefully engage other providers as well and other and I'd be more than happy to recommend some of my colleagues who might be able to speak to you on specific topics like addictions and some of the work that we do around um, addictions and um, and we do quite a lot of research so maybe we'll come and knock in on your door and say maybe you could help us with some of our research that we do as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Goodbye everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.